Welcome to Still Not Asking For It, a podcast brought to you by Hope Harbor, a sexual trauma recovery center. I'm your host, Elena, and today I'm joined with Mel G, our producer, as well as a friend of the show who has asked that their identity not be shared. The reason that uh, she's asking that her identity not be shared is because she is a part of the BDSM and kink community. This episode, we're going to be talking about her personal experience as a survivor of sexual assault and her journey to recovery that has incorporated BDSM and the kink community. This also serves as a trigger warning uh, to let all of our listeners know, um, as with all of our episodes, we'll be talking about sexual assault, um, as well as references to uh, BDSM, kink. Um, There's some mentioning of pornography, as well as child abuse and child exploitation. If you need to skip this episode, that is totally fine. Um, But if not, we hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. When you talked about going to this first kink party at this dungeon, is this a place? Like, is this a? This is a house. A house at one of my friends. Okay. One of my friends', one of my friends house in Bowling Green. Okay, cool. So I wonder, because I wondered this. Like, I feel like when you think about, I mean, we've talked about on the podcast that we are located in in Southern Kentucky, um, in the middle of like you know the Bible Belt, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Um, so we don't see a lot of. Um, any type of alternative lifestyle. And so I wonder, and I don't even know if you can answer this, but when you get into like larger cities, is this more prevalent as like a, a business of sorts? Like, are there, are there clubs that have things that you can like meet up with people at? Are there like businesses that operate like dungeons? I don't know if I'm using the correct wording. So I apologize. If so it's- no, you're fine. So most of the dungeons are considered secret places, okay. which which means that they're not known to the public to be able to go. You have to know somebody in the lifestyle. That person that's in the lifestyle that you go with has to vouch for you. And then you can become a member like that night, but then you have to be a member for six months or one year before you're allowed to bring somebody you're with you. They're very um careful about who they let in like you can't you can't just walk in because like when you walk in the door you have to show them your id and all this stuff and then there's a second door that goes to the other side where this dungeon is um and it's one that i went to that's in nashville in your experience have you found like there's a lot of diversity when it comes to uh, you know, going to these parties, like, and I, I, it appears to be like a lot more LGBTQ friendly. Yes, it's it's this. They're extremely LGBTQ friendly. You know, and extremely. Then, like, are do you find like, yeah, people who like maybe like people of different races, like people with disabilities? So, I see different races. And things all the time. I do. You do see people with disabilities. I have um, met a couple people that were in wheelchairs. Like they were, they used it full time, and they were in the lifestyle. Because I think it makes sense that, like, because that was something too. That article that I, uh, that research paper that I had read about, like, the other like um, inclusivity, I guess, aspects of you know of a BDSM that would also allow for this like consent culture, you know, to also like, I guess, make sense. I, but, but, but I did wonder if it was like, and which this could also be where we are in the country too, but like, if it was also just like mostly white people. 
<laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No, it's definitely diverse when it comes to race and religion for sure. Um, and most of the most of the play parties or dungeons you'll go to have a also have an um, accessibility ramp put up too. Okay, I have a question. I know you talked about when you go to a munch, it's not like a sexual thing; it's a meet and greet. But yep. when you're going to these dungeons, these are places where you will actually participate in things, correct? Yes. You don't have to participate. You can just go and just sit and just watch. That's how I did my first time. Especially when I go to a new place, I don't ever play for the first time. I'm really, I'm not big into public play because those are more for people who are like exhibitionists, who like public sex. I like the idea of maybe getting caught. Like, you know, it's just exciting um, because you can openly watch people there. And I don't like people openly watching me. I don't care to watch other people, but I don't want other people to see me like that. So that's like a kink within the community is certain people into that like voyeurism type thing. Oh, yes. That's a huge, huge, huge kink. And, and, and those, I mean, I would assume, and those are like a safe space to do that. Yes. Right? Like, yes. And like, mm-hmm. you know what you're getting into, you know what, yeah. So is there also like this sense of like confidentiality? Like you're not going to go out. There is kind of an assume there there. So you don't really necessarily sign papers, but there is like an assumed confidentiality. That's kind of like assumed that everybody in the lifestyle will do. Cause as you've already seen from what I've told you earlier, it can get ta- you can get taken advantage of real easy if you go into the wrong place at the wrong time. You meet someone at the wrong time, you can easily be taken advantage of. That's why it's always so critical not to jump in the lifestyle, but to do your research first. So, with these like public spaces, when you're in these dungeons and things, is there any type of like sexual health standard? Like, are they like you have to be tested before you come in or anything like that? You no, so you don't have to be tested, but they do give you con. There's condoms everywhere. Um, you are you're you are expected to use them while on the property. Okay, but so there is like a safety. I feel like everything is just so taken care of. Like it, you it, all just really, check all the boxes. It really is. If if to be honest, for people who are really serious about the lifestyle they know what they're doing and they will watch out for other people in the lifestyle or if they see or feel that you're being taken advantage of like my partner he is the best so like we have people that come over and hang out with us all the time and like if he feels like someone's in a situation that they don't need to be in he will get up and say something he does not care but he won't just let anybody like he won't let any random or, or random girl go walk out the door with some guy she didn't come to come to come to the party with. Okay, so this is something that I haven't I haven't talked with you about um, prior. Um, so mm-hmm. this is, if you don't have if you don't want to if or maybe if you just don't have anything to say about this, that's okay too. But so like, yes, what are your opinions on people who want to kind of like role play uh, sexual assault or role play rape? So that always makes me very nervous because it it is a kink and I have heard it a lot. Um, 
I've heard some pretty disturbing things, <laughs> but um, it makes me very nervous. But the way that they, from my understanding, the way that they justify it is that it is like it's 100% controlled. Like they know what's going to happen. They might not necessarily know when it's going to happen, but they know that it is going to happen. Um, so it's not like necessarily like something that's just, snuck up on it's like it's just it's well discussed before anything ever occurs yeah and like they'll have that plan because like we have to a plan for you need to know like cpr and all that because if you do the wrong thing some you don't know what could happen if you put someone in bondage the wrong way and it cuts off circulation or does something messes with our heart like anything could happen and you really need to be aware of those situations before you just jump into it yeah and like actually think through what could happen through all the possibilities which is a part of that consent you know and that yes. communication like it's be prepared be prepared and be aware yeah so I had, um, I had a friend of mine who I was telling, you know, we're like, I was telling them that we we're going to do this podcast. And I, I was telling them because I had like, I had a feeling that, that, that this was a community that, that they were kinky essentially. Like yes. they had never come out and said it, but like by comments and things like that. And so, you know, I just like straight up asked like, Oh, like, is this something you're into? And you know, they're like, Oh yeah, for sure. Like a hundred percent. And you know, and so I was saying, oh, like, I'm really excited about you doing this podcast. And they were like, you know, something that I, that like, so that they were saying something that they really struggled with was finding porn that they were into that was BDSM porn that they basically said they were fearful that rape role plays like rape, these, uh, like rape scenes would come up when like searching porn um and within the bdsm community so do you so i guess um, kind of what i'm go ahead sorry i haven't really found that out found that to be true yet that's that's for me um it is it is hard to find bdsm porn if you're not looking at the right places but also the kind because a lot of the a lot of bdsm porn is very um can be very traumatizing because they usually put them in all these like crazy devices and that's not how we normally have sex at home. Come on y'all. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody <laughs> not has a dungeon. Yeah. Not everybody <laughs> has a sex swing. Not every, yeah. I'm not, I'm not equipped with the dungeon in my basement. Cause <laughs> if I was, I would have one. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like that was, so like that was something that I hadn't thought of kind of, I guess that like pornography component of, you know, of BDSM, because we already know, right? Like when we talk about um, what porn portrays uh, to our culture is that sex looks these specific ways, right? Like conventional yeah. porn, I don't know how to general mainstream porn. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what these words are, but um, you know, and, and the issues with that, by the way, I'm not like against porn at all, but I do recognize that some porn does like kind of show this like lack of consent, right? Like this forceful sex that seems violent and wrong, you know, like doesn't, yeah. Like, I mean, kind of what you said, this is not what everyday sex looks like, which maybe yeah. that's why people want to watch it, you know, it's cause it's not 
typical, you know, but so it was interesting to hear you kind of say that too, that like, even in like BDSM porn, that there's this like element of kind of over the top, not always an accurate, maybe portrayal Mm -hmm. of what some people's experiences would be typically. Yeah. I have seen a couple porns, but very few that actually like fully integrated BDSM with consent. I've had a hard time finding that. Like they wouldn't show, like typically they won't show like this agreement, what they're agreeing to kind of aspect of. Yes. Do you feel like most porn that portrays BDSM are actual people that are like in the community or do you think they're kind of taking advantage of it in the same way that like 50 shades kind of did um like they're just actors yeah that's hard that's a hard question because you don't really know the answer because it's like Mm -hmm. because you you don't know if the ones that are portraying it are really in the lifestyle or not yeah, I guess that that would be like, oh, do you have like to like porn? This is this is the explicit part, I guess, of our podcast episode, um, where like you know, like some people, right? Like some people could be acting out in porn, you know, like anal sex or like butt plugs or something. But maybe in their typical sex life, That's they don't do, do those things. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm sure that happens. I'm sure we'll, it does. We'll and interview I a often, porn star another time. I often have this thought about porn about wondering if any of the women that is in the porn that's in like whatever it is that I'm watching at that time is currently like being held like against their will like like I wonder that all the time and that makes me feel so bad for watching it or enjoying it but that makes me feel terrible because I'm always like it always constantly goes through my mind is she doing that willingly or which is probably like, be yeah from your awareness of human trafficking. Uh, yeah, that's what I was yes. going to say because you yes, know about that's human what trafficking. Constantly goes through my mind. Yeah, you know, and and I think too, like, um, like this caught that this maybe comfort that that people who aren't in this work right would um would think that's like oh if they're being video like this is clearly consensual because this is a set and they're videotaping it and now it's on the internet, you know, like thinking that's not necessarily the case at all. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. But like, I bet a lot of people think that, you know, um, cause that's something, I mean, this is us getting off a little bit, but like when talking about child abuse, um, also some people refer to as child porn, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like I realized, um, like, when, when people say child porn, I literally imagine like five-year-olds, like it yeah. is something that like, there is no question about it. Disgusting. Something's wrong. They're not consenting to it. Right. But most of the time it's like 16 or 17 year olds. What I've realized, yes, that if you ask other people and I haven't asked like a million people by any means, but I'm like, what do you, like, what age do you imagine? And it's teenagers. And, and I think that there's right. Like we understand a five-year-old doesn't know what they're consenting to, but I think some people think a teenager does, but it's like that. It's like that, that it's, it's not really understood. It's kind of like we want, it's like blinders almost. Like we want to assume we as a society, you know, want to assume that if we're watching porn, that everyone knows what they're doing and it's all consensual and it's all fine. But then that doesn't translate to our 
into our society well enough, right, to where that, because we don't see that consent happening, like how you said, that you don't see that consent communication mm -hmm. happening before the BDSM porn, that there's not these examples of how to have those conversations prior to. I just convoluted two things that are not the same. I want maybe to reiterate that, like you cannot have a teenager consent to no. uh, like to pornography, very aware no. of that. But I'm just saying like kind of the, like the facade, this like mindset that sometimes these things can uh, portray and that are really damaging to our culture. I hope that makes sense and doesn't. No, it doesn't make, no, that makes, that actually makes total sense because I also often wonder, I also often wonder like how many of those are very portrayed as adults that are actually teenagers that have been kidnapped, held against their will, sold over and over to God knows who and what, like that just breaks my heart. Yeah. I mean, obviously if children of, yeah, 18 and under are in, yeah, are, are, are in pornography, like clearly they're being coerced, right? Like, but a lot of them you would never be able to tell because a lot of, you know how these young girls looking much older these days. Yeah. I wonder too, with some of these, is it because these, these, and I, I don't want to say girls, but they are, uh, present so much like they, uh, it, you could look at someone who's 17 and someone who's 30 and be able to question their ages on who's who, you know what I mean? In certain, with certain makeup or with whatever. And so like, I wonder too, are some of these, um, executives, I don't know what the wording is. Like these people who are finding people in the porn industry, are they really doing their due diligence? Like if a 16 year old comes in and shows them some kind of idea, are they like, yep, that works. It's all good. And like, they don't even care, you know, like I wonder so, that. But I think it's actually the opposite where they want people who look young. Yeah. Like because, they'll take the person that's, that's 22, but looks like they're like 14. Because that's actually like, that's I mean, a fetish. Yeah. Like there's plenty of kinks out there that do not cause societal harm. Right. You know, yeah. like being into these things. Yeah. Like a, a DNS relationship. Is that how you say it? Does that sound right? A DNS? Yes. DS. Okay. DS or name. Yes. Okay. Okay. This DS relationship, like is not, like it doesn't send a message to the culture that all relationships should have one power person and one submissive, you know, like, right. Like there's not that, uh, repercussion, but there is a repercussion in our society where we fetishize, fetishize, where you, where we sexualize, there we go, where we sexualize, <laughs> fetishize, but I know something go. doesn't sound right. It sounds like an exercise when we say it like that, mm -hmm. but anyway, um, but that w when we sexualize young people, right? Like when we, when we sexualize children, there are very bad repercussions, right? We have, we have uh -huh. sex trafficking, we have child sexual abuse, we have child sexual exploitation, right? Like we have all of these things, you know? So I do think like that should be, yeah, like noted, right? Like, I feel I, like people can have their kinks. That's fine. But like with, but like sexual abuse, that's not a cool thing. I feel yeah, like no, they, I feel like these things are grouped into taboo topics and I say taboo in quotes because they've all been seen as the same but like that bothers me because like it from all that we've learned you know BDSM is can be this safe place and that should not be seen in the same way as like something that is incestuous or something that is um 
you know, these other child sexual abuse. And I know like those are when you look into porn, those are the biggest categories. It's like the, my stepdaughter or my whatever. I I don't like those. It's just, I just find it gross. That's me personally, but I just remember this sociology study I saw and that was like, uh, and it talked about the top keywords in porn and it was daughter, stepdaughter, stepmother, mother, father, like all, brother, sister, like all of these terms. Me? And I'm not surprised at all, but like that bothers me. And I'm not even part of this community that like these two things are, are sometimes grouped in together under mm-hmm. the words like deviant or taboo together. When to me, these are such opposite things. These things are like, one to me is ethically, morally wrong. And the other one is an exploration of sexuality. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask about whenever, like, so in um, dominant submissive relationships, you had said that you're always submissive, but it's a thing though for people to be like versatile. Yeah. Okay. So I'm usually always submissive, but I'm also what's called a switch, which a switch is just someone who can be both but I'm usually the submissive. He's always a dom. He does not like to (laughs) to switch. But yeah, but I've done it before. I have been a switch. And that's just just the term. That's what it's called. It's just a switch. So if you were with a different partner who was also submissive, then you could switch. Yep. Okay. So like I think about like in gay men. Yeah, mm-hmm. like is are you versus is it versatile the term that they use? Like if they're all verse, top, yeah, I've yeah, heard verse, top and bottom. Yeah. 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 I, so when you say that he's not into it, like so he has he tried to be submissive and was like, that isn't for me. Yes. But so he it's he doesn't really get enjoyment out of the submissive part, but he gets enjoyment out of what I do when he's in the submissive part. Yeah. Okay. No, it's okay. You don't have to go. I was just, I'm, I, I was curious if there was like that, like, as I, I feel like Mel and I had talked about in a previous conversation, like the aspect of like trying it first, mm-hmm. like that you're not just going to be like, nope, never going to do it. You know, that it's like, if you're going to, if you're going to be a dom and expect somebody else to be a sub that you would at least try, I guess. Oh yeah. We're, we're very open with like exploring on each other's side. I'm just, I'm not comfortable being a dom because that's just not my nature at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Would you say, and I guess this is subjective, would you say that people that are like submissive in the lifestyle are submissive in the real world? Or like vice versa? So it's actually, it's kind of, okay. So a lot of people that are submissive in the lifestyle are submissive in the real world, but you will find a lot of women who are like in power, like they hold a high power position in their workplace, um, will tend to be more submissive to get out of that. But then you will have some women who they're all about all the power in the workplace and then they also hold all the power in the bedroom too. So like on the dominant side of things. Okay. Yeah, I wondered that as well in Love and BDSM. That's what you said it was called, right? Love and yeah. BDSM? Isn't yeah, it? that podcast um, that 
the host, like, so the hosts are in a relationship together and she talked about being like, they do the, um, dominant submissive 24 seven. She talked about wearing the collar. That's how I knew what you meant. Um, and everything <laughs> like that. And so, um, like I was kind of, you know, like, okay, interesting. But then noticing that she dominates the conversation. I mean, and I've listened to multiple episodes, like he pops in every once in a while, but it's like, she has to like make space for him to talk within this, you know, podcast. So I found that like an interest. So I'm glad Mel asked that question because yeah, it, I wondered if for some people it is like this role play, essentially you're able to, you know, take off maybe that weight that it takes to be this strong, you know, quote unquote woman, you know, in our society and then get to play the submissive role. You know, yeah, that's why I, that's why a lot of it's also referred to as like the, the stress relief and the anxiety relief because it takes away that stress that you hold in, every, in your everyday life. Yeah, like that judgment's gone, that those expectations are gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so I also wanted to ask um, when talking about diversity, um, age range, what are like the age ranges you've seen of people? Um, oh, Lord. Age ranges can go from 18 years old to in their 70s. I've known, um, I, I know someone personally, they're in a relationship and she's 23 and he is 67. Not my thing. I'm not an, an age gap kind of person. But, in the, and they're in the lifestyle and she's the dumb and he is the submissive. Um, but there's another term that they use for it. And I can't remember exactly what that term was mm -hmm. off the top of my head. Yeah. I, I like he wore, he wore a collar and everything and a leash and everything. And she had all the control. Yeah. I mean, I, I wondered, yeah, like what the age, you know, if this, and like, have you found like some people get into it like later in life or that's kind of all, all, all across the board? Yeah, people definitely get into it later in life, but it's also all across the board. Like, yeah, it's not just for any specific age. I mean, don't be underage, but mm -hmm. as long as you're healthy and you get, especially make sure if you're older to get, talk to your doctor first, especially if you have heart problems. And I say that because I had to talk to my doctor about it first and I'm yeah. only 30 because of my heart surgery. Um, I had to talk to my doctor about it because of my shortness and breath uh, stuff I was having. Yeah. That's like your disclaimer to be like, talk to your doctor <laughs> before. True too. Just like you do any other. Cause like BDSM sex is a lot more, um, activity oriented than normal sex, vanilla sex. Um, it's very activity oriented. So yes, you need to make sure you're on top of your health. So did you, since you talked about talking to your doctor in your experience, have you found that like medical professionals and I say medical professionals and like mental health experts, like when, if you talking to therapists, I don't know if you have about this, but like, do you think that most therapists, doctors, whatever are open-minded to these things? Or do you think there's some bias there? Uh, I do think there's some bias, but I do think a lot of doctors and mental health professionals are very open. So my therapist is very open about it. She knows about my lifestyle. She knows that I'm polyamorous. Um, and same thing with the boyfriend, with my partner's therapist. Um, 
and she's really awesome too, totally different person. But I did have had issues like talking to other doctors in the past about it. Um, kind of felt like it was really judgmental, but my heart doctor, he just thinks it's hilarious. He's just like, what? <laughs> He's just kind of shocked by it. He doesn't know how to respond. So he quit asking me about it. Yeah. But with your, okay, so that's kind of, yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, with your therapist, so, because that's like a very important, I mean, which you should have close relationships with your doctor too, because you're paying them, right? Like you can go, typically you can go find a different doctor if you don't like your doctor. Same thing with the therapist. Did you feel like you had to educate your therapist on this or like she did her own education? She actually, my therapist actually knew a lot about it already because she works with um, a lot of people, I guess, who have sex issues um, and things like that. So she already knew a lot about it already. Um, but she didn't really know about like the polyamory side of things and all that. So she was kind of shocked when she found that out, but she wasn't like surprised at all. Okay. So one of my last questions that I had was, although I'm thinking of like 20 more, um, is, so you mentioned like in diversity that there's like diversity within religion as well. Do you, do you think that there's a, like, that Christianity holds a negative stigma towards people within this community? Yes. And why do you think that is? And the reason I say that is because the community is more than just one aspect of it. It's the entirety of the community as a whole and all the subcultures inside that hold that community together. And a lot of like older people don't like they're usually very against it um and the christian religion sees like polyamorous as being like i'm sinning even though we all know about it and we're all together they would see that as i'm sinning i'm not supposed to do that because i'm with a married man like and i just don't i just don't get that i'm like i'm in love with him he's in love with me like I just don't get it. Why I don't understand why it's so, why it has to be seen as such a negative thing, but I also know it's going to take a very long time for society to see something like that as normal as well. Do you see do you see any like bigotry from other religions? Not really. Hmm, it's always the Christians. Mel says that as a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying I mean, that. Hey, I'm I, saying that I, against I myself. Consider, I consider myself a Christian. I really um, hate saying that sometimes because I know you know, it, it evokes a certain response in, in some people. In some people, yeah. No, but I think, but I think that's, but like, how else can you change, I guess, the culture, you know? I feel like I can call it out from the inside. Yeah. 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 So what would you like people who, so people like, like Mel and I who work with survivors of sexual assault, um, what would you like like others, you know, to know about BDSM culture in working with survivors? Yeah, so part of the BDSM culture is that it is geared, part of the BDSM culture is that it is geared towards trying to fight off sexual violence. But sometimes, and it can also bring about sexual violence and in a community that that's that close knit that you're supposed to be able to trust your partner that much and you're violated in that way. That's 
to me, that's like the furthest you can go to trust, like the furthest you can give in trust to somebody. And, but it also like allows me to like re to kind of like reclaim my own, my own body as like a source of pleasure and a source of power and helps combat my trauma and my depression. But you have to be really, really careful and really sensitive with people that are in the lifestyle that have also had sexual trauma because sexual trauma in the lifestyle to some people can be or feel totally different than having sexual trauma out of the lifestyle because that is supposed to be a place of trust where you trust everyone that you're with and all your partners. And so, like, if that part was taken away or destroyed for me, like, I would be devastated. And I wouldn't be able, don't think I would be able to continue living in lifestyle at that point. It would be really hard for me. Yeah, that that, um, that trauma of, of being, um, of having that trust broken. Yeah. Yeah, but it all, it's also taught me how to learn how to communicate better. And how to understand my own desires, because I do have a really hard, difficult time trying to talk about those with other people, because I'm afraid of the judgment that can come off of it. But I'm working on it. So BDSM in the community, it's a very powerful act that is, it's practiced for a number of different reasons. It can be practiced for like just sexual practice um, or an exchange of power dynamics, which a lot of people like to do. Not everybody does that. Or experiencing pain as pleasure because play can be used to help process trauma. Because BDSM is, it's an indisciplinary and a, like, um, it's like a practice but it vary it varies for everyone in the community because not everyone likes or enjoys the same things. But but that's like a part of it though is like normalizing mm-hmm. that is and yep. being able to explore that. Yeah, um, and in a, in a healthy way because not every not every trauma survivor will be able to find BDSM healing um, for them for them. Um, but it but there has been from some things I've read in the past. I've, I have read that there has been um, proven, um, like a proven direct correlation between trauma and BDSM because um, I've did a paper over it before. And that makes and sense. I had to, yeah. It makes sense like a, a level of control that you re- regain. And I love use the word reclaimed. And uh, I had to write that down because I just felt like that was like so poignant yeah, because and the, perfect. The, the, because the goal of, tra- of working with trauma survivors or in trauma work is the empowerment of the survivor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if someone was interested in the community but had no, like they'd been doing research but they don't know anyone in it, where should where should they go? What should they do? How do they start? So if you don't know anybody at all, the first place to start is Google 
like, and I mean, and I mean Google, don't use it like a doctor, but Google, learn about the terms, learn about what you like, because you want to know what you like and what you enjoy before you jump into it. So that way you can tell somebody else, but you also might have things that you want to try that you don't know about yet. And so I would do my research. Um, I would definitely join FetLife, which I'm already on, but that's how I, that's how I started my research was on FetLife. And going to the munches, especially if you have like a local group that's meeting up, if you join FetLife, you can see all, all of your local munches online and you can, you're like, you can go to any of them and meet and greet as many, many people. That's how I made all my friends that I have now in the community. Like your experience with this community is, is low, is, I mean, has it been localized to like Kentucky, Tennessee? Uh, yes, my, okay. mine has. Yeah. Mine's okay. just been basically here and I've been to Nashville. Okay. Yeah. Cause I did like, I want that to be, but like, you know, that, 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 that we are talking about your experience, that mm -hmm. we're letting you tell your story, that we're not asking you to be this like expert on everyone's experience with the BDSM community that like, you know, that what, what you're talking about is very specific, right. To yeah, your experiences and things like that. Um, and mm -hmm. kind of giving that like local, you know, kind of aspect, especially since yeah. we're talking about. And you also have to remember that working with trauma survivors who also live the BDSM lifestyle or even traumatized inside of the relationship that's a part of the lifestyle. It's all about having like a, a certain controlled exposure to not, so you know, so you don't overwhelm them because B BDSM is a chance to be able to experience like excitement, a fear, pain, arousal and things like that in lifestyle and adrenaline in a in a safe contained and controlled way like this very like intersectional community-based approach i think is kind of what i like to think you know that we're doing so yeah. like there's there's definitely going to be people who will be listening right who who can identify with what you're saying whether because they're a survivor and already in the community or because they're a survivor and they are, they've had these thoughts, but mm -hmm. couldn't like put it together maybe, you know, um, or maybe just didn't know, right? Like they didn't know how to get into it. They didn't, you know, it could be kind of scary to like <laughs> Mel made a joke that we were like Googling terms on our work computer <laughs> that uh, could, put, you know, if uh, well, I told Melissa, I was like, don't look at what I'm Googling. At my, you know, at my it search might be history. dangerous. You know, which, which then again, right, is making a joke of this, of how our society views this, this culture and essentially sex as taboo. And I, yeah. I strongly believe that we have to be sex positive to end sexual violence. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I agree with that. And, and, and kind of, um, you know, and I know I talked about this with you, um, or both of you that like, we recognize, we had to have this conversation, I think, to grow as a, as a, as an agency. Like our staff needs to hear this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's extremely important, um, you know, because you never know what trauma survivor is going to come in and you that they may have experienced something that you like had never even heard of that maybe, you know, maybe they were from a different religion and they had experienced something, you know, just really bad, mm -hmm. you know. 
yeah, that happens all the time, right? Yeah, it happens all the time that we have, you know, like whenever we think of diversity, right, we have these like certain boxes we check off, you know, and this was definitely, yeah, yeah. And this, this was definitely an aspect that we were missing. Yeah. I just want to thank you though. Cause like we, so since I first learned about, I mean, I knew about BDSM culture, but like learning the connection to, to sexual violence, like it was something that I was interested in and did research, but you know, there's only so much we can learn without having that like firsthand perspective. Mm -hmm. So I just thank you because, you know, even though you're trying to fight the fight that this is not this topic that is so seen as, as taboo, uh, it does take a certain level of bravery to put yourself out here and be like, yeah, I'll talk about it. Here's my life. You want to divulge into it? Um, so I want to thank you for that because that can be scary and just know that we appreciate you and what, what you are doing in your lifestyle and I'm just happy that you're so happy. Like how you I'm talk about your I'm partner, so it's a beautiful thing. I wish everyone could talk about their people that way. Like you talk about him in such a great way. That makes me so happy. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has meant so much to us. Well, I'm so happy that we finally discussed it and we should do it and we should do it again sometime. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And remember, we're still not asking for it. This podcast has been brought to you by Hope Harbor, a sexual trauma recovery center located in South Central Kentucky. Special thanks to Girl Tones for our intro. Listen to the rest of their song, Can't Pause, and others wherever you stream or buy music.